You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have the writing duo of Julia Fierro and Chaley Wolfson Widger, uh, who write collectively as the writing duo Cassidy Lucas. They have an amazing new book. It's called The Last Party, and we're here to talk about it today. I think you guys are going to love this book. I know I did, and uh, and welcome to the show, Julia and Chaley. Thank you, Hank. <laughs> so, so we begin each show with the same question, and we've got so much fun stuff to talk about today, but we cannot get to that yet until we tackle this first question. And uh, we'll start with you, Julia. What is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Huh, that is a great question. Um, I do feel that Growing up, I wanted to be something more fun and and active and uh, filled with instant gratification, like a Broadway star um, or something, you know, just as one does. Yes. So it wasn't until I actually went. I mean, I, I, I didn't even know that you could be a writer you know, that it's something that you could do um, for a living, which, you know, and so it wasn't until I um, I went to graduate school that I kind of believed that you could do that. Um, but I had always loved stories. Um, I especially grew up loving um, mythology. And so I think looking back, that I was always searching for stories. And um, so I think it was really part of me from when I was really young, but, um, but it took me a while to sort of believe that I could do it. I guess it took, you know, took me a long time. (laughs) It's so funny that you, you talk about, uh, you know, not knowing that that's a, a profession that you could actually do there's a weird thing that happens when you're a kid especially when you go to the library or the bookstore and you see these just shelf after shelf of books and and they're all stories that were told by someone and uh but it it's like one day the realization hits you that there's a person behind this like someone <laughs> actually did the work yeah. behind this and then other people helped them uh, you know, edit it, publish it, you know, make a cover for it, bind it. Like there's a whole string of people that are involved in this thing coming to the shelf. And, and there there's, it's like a, a, a weird realization that happens like, Oh, I could be one of those people that's, that steps into the process somewhere. And that's a, that's an empowering thing for a, especially for a young person to realize. Yes, definitely. That was really beautifully said. Um, I'm still- you two can spend four years working on something with <laughs> unknown, <laughs> with an unknown payoff. But, exactly. No, you're right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's still amazing. Like, Chaley and I will be texting each other, and I'm like, wait, are we really publishing our fourth novel? You know, second novel together. Right. Um, it's pretty... Uh, it's just it's almost impossible to believe, even though we went through every agonizing moment of all four of those books. But <laughs> <laughs> Hank, your so, question is one that I have a rare, very specific memory to I answer with. I know um, I love it already. And I you know what she's gonna I, say. I began my writing life as a poet um, and sort of maintained that ruse for 25 years or so before I transitioned into <laughs> writing fiction but I was 
10 years old or nine years old, I think, in fourth grade. And I grew up in central Florida, where, um, as you probably know, Hank, from from living in Mississippi, um, there are epic thunderstorms in the afternoons in the summer. And yes, and we've had um, those every Wednesday um, for a month now. Just, just <laughs> horrendous. Only on Wednesday. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Don't, yeah, it is what it is. Anyway, that's that's interesting. Um, anyway, I it was this this was later at night, but I I was in bed and there was a particularly dramatic operatic thunderstorm happening outside, and um, I just remembered kind of the experience of the storm, churning up a lot of big feelings and. Um, sort of exhilaration and some fear. And um, I just had a gut level desire um, to write a poem. And so <laughs> grabbed my journal and I wrote a poem, The Night Opera. And um, that was, that was Great. like, um, it was, it was one of those, I don't really believe in epiphany, but it was one of those rare kind of <sighs> epiphanic moments where I realized that writing um was incredibly gratifying and helped me make sense of my experience oh my gosh epiphanic moment really i think that's the only epiphanic moment i've had in my life so great question to start with because yeah (laughs) epiphanic moment is is gonna i'm i'm introducing that into my vernacular from here on so so you guys uh write together this is your second book the last party is your second book that you've written together but as you alluded to julia um you you guys have written more uh, you've also written separately as well as together how did you how did you meet and i i understand that there um was a a sort of fortuitous meeting um in in the writing world that, that got you guys together what 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 brought you together originally Jaylee or me or go ahead, Jaylee. Who who um, whomever sure. has so the inspiration? I, I, speak after you, your Tiffany moment. I will tell you. Um, yes, I found Julia on Craigslist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Julia had just launched or recently launched her writing school that she has. It's now coming up on his tw- the twenty five twenty fifth year anniversary. Uh, the Wait, 20th, 20th, Chaley. We're not that old. 20th? Okay. 20th. 20th, sorry. <laughs> trying to add half a decade there. We're actually both 60. Um, no, anyway. Um, <laughs> so she had recently launched her, her writing workshop, and I had recently moved to New York from California and was sort of secretly writing short stories. And um, after having gone to graduate school for poetry and was looking for a workshop and I found Julia's listing on Craigslist and I'll never forget it. I, I called, I might've submitted an application. I can't exactly remember who called who, but I was in Ikea, um, I think in New Jersey. And um <laughs> we spoke on the phone about me joining Julia's fiction workshop. Um, And I liked her right away on the phone and uh, showed up for the first class. And I think back then she was padding the numbers of her class with like her husband and her sister-in-law. But it was a good group. And I really, um, I I was, um, I left that first meeting um, feeling transformed. And like, I, I decided I wanted to commit to being a fiction writer. So Julia was my teacher. She was my workshop leader and uh, really important in my, my formative stages of writing fiction. And then we became best friends and co-authors over time. Well, it's very generous of Chile to call it a school at the time, <laughs> because what it really was, was me um, feeling lonely and and also wanting a group of people, a group of writers or people who wanted to be writers. I didn't even care what level anyone was or how much experience they had. And um, I just really uh, needed to talk about writing with people. And I also specifically wanted to talk about it with more 
with people outside the literary scene, so to speak, um, you know, just really talk about craft. And I, my first book had gone out with my agent to editors and didn't sell. Thank goodness. I can say that now. Um, and so I was feeling really crushed. And so I just, I think it was my mom who said, have a class in your kitchen or something, you know? And, um, and I put it out on Craigslist and Chaley showed up and she was like, she was amazing, you know? And it was just, she, she had everything already. Um, and she just needed like, she basically needed a writing friend to push her and say, duh, you can write fiction. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I will say, I mean, um, I, I don't know if Julia bypassed this biographical fact on purpose if she's just being modest but um but julia went to the iowa writers workshop obviously like most prestigious writing program maybe in the world and i think what i mean that was cool to me from a distance but you know as julia said she really didn't care about what levels or sort of what accomplishments people were bringing to to sit around her kitchen table in her workshop but that I think that spirit of loving to read and loving to write and just geek out on craft is what drew me in and kept me there. And really the thing that I think has kept her school, we can definitely call it now going, but I think we share that value of just loving to read and write and deconstruct how an author makes a certain impact on a reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think also going back to the why why we write question, I think that, you know, both Chaley and I came together through a need. You know, we really needed, Chaley was new, newish to New York. I had just kind of gone through this big loss of not selling my book. And I was adjuncting it like four different universities, you know, in New York, driving around, like, I'm not a good driver. <laughs> and, um, oh, my God, it was so stressful. And I think that, you know, that SAC, it's called the Sacka Street Writers Workshop. And that came out of a need for that I had for community and for other people, you know, who were like, you know, engineers, lawyers, poets, you know, stay at home parents. Um, And I think it's similar to writing, you know, we do it because we need to. Um, And, and it is true, you know, what Shaley was saying, she said it so perfectly that we, we, we just enjoyed analyzing, you know, the crap out of (laughs) fiction. Like the crap out of the craft. I was serving coffee at like nine o'clock at night. You know, we were young. We were in our 20s. We had, you know, it was just, and we would just spend hours and hours trying to figure out how a writer did something that we wanted to emulate. And so when Shaley, after we published our second books under our own names, we were in, uh, we were in Williamsburg. We had just gone to this. Oh, it was like some kind of. It was a. It was a. Um, it was for Epiphany Magazine. It was a. Uh, a fundraiser, and it was on the roof. Fancy like William Gale, I think, hotel. Mm-hmm. And of course, like you know, it's all like broke writers and stuff. It wasn't, but we were in a really fancy place. You know, we were like, yeah, we're like on top of the world. And we got, and we got an ex- ex- and Chaley, Chaley said, oh, do you hear that? Oh, no, sorry. I hear a little vibration. And Chaley said, let's write a novel together. And I was like, what? And then I, I said, okay. You know, not really thinking it would. Talk to me I, when you haven't had three glasses of champagne. <laughs> um, and that was it. You know, and I knew that we shared this writer's brain. I mean, it's really incredible the connection that we have with that with our writer's brain. You know, we can um Chaley can write a scene. 
with dialogue and action and gesture and then I can go in and add the interiority you know it's really um I mean it's really it's really unique you know it's uh it's hard to imagine like a painter doing that but that is kind of what you know we're doing like we we each add layer after layer and take turns um to make like a complete painting you know. Let Sorry, me I ask you this. Really you... Much longer answer than. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, no, that was that was great. I mean, but, um, but I, I have to ask this. Um, Sorry, go ahead, Hank. Chaley comes from a background uh, of poetry and brings that certain uh, view uh, of the world, or, or and and skill set that like there there are certain tools in the in in a poet's toolbox. Um, that they have and that they utilize um, you, for the the writing that you do um, by yourself, Julia. Where where do you um, see yourself fitting in the in the the spectrum of kind of what is your natural genre that you land in or your natural writing style? Like like it, aside from what what then becomes when you become Cassidy Lucas. Um, where do you, where do you fit? Well, it's interesting. Wow, you you have really good questions. <laughs> These are great. This is really like at the heart of it. Um, <clears throat> well, Chaley, you know, we made sure that we um, we uh, we beat the poet out of her in fiction. <laughs> She's dead. Because while she's still, obviously, I can't even pronounce the epiphany word, epiphanemic, whatever. <laughs> she's still got the chops. Um, <clears throat> she is really a fiction writer. Well, I think Chaley is so adaptable. You know, she can write poetry. She could write a screenplay, I'm sure. I don't even know. I think she has. Um, she, you know... I am not as adaptable, you know. I feel like with our, with my first two books, I guess they're more what you would call literary fiction or literary commercial fiction, you know, like literary fiction that's not going to hurt your brain. Um, yeah. And then for these two books under Cassidy Lucas, you know, we were striving to create a more what you know i guess you would call a commercial experience like a a thriller and then yeah yeah this next one is a mystery thriller um the last party so but i feel like i just wrote the way that i always write you know um that for me the most for me the only thing that matters in writing and in life really is story you know, I mean, like I accost like strangers online at Trader Joe's and force them to tell me a story or something. You know, it's just <laughs> I get bored really easily. And yeah. um, and I see it in my kids, too, particularly my son, who has the same hyper brain, you know, energy that I have. Yeah. Like, if he's not in front of a screen, he's like walking around the house like, who wants to hear a story? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Please, you know. And then you think to yourself, "Oh, I did this to this kid. This is yeah. this is my fault." <laughs> I mean, I had my copy of like Delaire's illustrated mythology book, like all you know, messed up from carrying it in the woods as a kid. You know, my brother and I would play like these mythological games. So I was just waiting to give it to my son, um, and and he really influenced the ending of my second book, The Gypsy Moth Summer, because of that. So I do think for me it comes from a more, again, back to the need, like a pure need to tell stories um, and to hear them and and shape them. Um, because I did, it was really shocking when I got into the I Writers Workshop. I don't come from intellectuals. I mean, I, my parents, my... You know, my mother was very smart. My father's very smart. But, <clears throat> you know, I didn't really realize what I was walking into. Um, 
and everyone there was so educated and had wanted to go to the writers workshop their entire lives and again i just wanted to be a broadway star or something but um i do think that uh it's all about story and it's really amazing yeah. to have a friend that you care about so much and admire and feel safe with in that mental you know creative space to to shape a story with and yeah. that's what Chaley and I get to do so it's 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 remarkable that we can do that together and that somebody actually wanted to publish what we came up with <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go back to that that moment when uh when you guys you know said let's write a novel together and um chaley what what was that moment like for you what was that yeah one thing that i love to hear people talk about because because this is where some of the 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 pure magic of writing comes from is that um you know we can study craft and we can pick apart the way a writer um describes the scene the setting and and the emotional um you know charge that comes from it and and we can go through all that but there there's still something magic that comes from um the fact that at one moment a story does not exist in any form or fashion and then either a character walks onto the stage of your mind or you start thinking of a setting and then you start casting that setting with imaginary people and then you know something magic happens it comes in and it becomes alive and then as a writer it's your job to to excavate you know that story and to dig it out and to carefully pull it out and then hone it and polish it until it becomes you know a thing that sits on a shelf somewhere um you know it's it, but but it becomes something out of nothing um so what was that first moment like when you guys first started you know, thinking about doing this together and, you know, where all the synapses are firing and, you know, all of the creative possibilities or, you know, you know, that that first moment of when you start thinking of a story and ideas are just flying around and all the excitement that comes with that. What was that moment of creation like when when your writing partnership first came alive? Wow, that was just such a beautiful and lyrical um um thanks the best yes way yeah <laughs> description no description of how um, you know sort of the um germination of this type of project but um i feel almost guilty like stripping the romance out of it um by telling you uh, no i'll tell you i'll tell you i have a really short answer uh so it started at the gym okay um yep it started at the gym um, I, um, a couple years ago went through a phase where I was quasi compulsive about attending high intensity interval training workouts. <laughs> and I forced Julia to start going to my gym with me here in Santa Monica. And we became kind of gym rats together. Uh, and it was both painful. Of us, both of us had just written fairly recently had come off writing individual um pretty ambitious um literary fiction leaning novels and i think um we had so much fun at the gym not so much um during the workout but analyzing observing the room kind of that ecosystem and its particular cast of characters that are associated with fitness culture in Los Angeles. And it was so much fun, essentially workshopping our experience at the gym together. And so, so that's really where the idea took shape for me. And then when I, you know, it, it hit me. So then, so that was kind of the first piece. The other two pieces are that I, um, when I can't sleep at night, I um, read kind of compulsively, um, com like uh, like commercial-ish thrillers, and yeah. it's like my it's like my sleeping pill. I, I wake up, I can't read, I can't sleep, and then I read these books, and they lull, lull me back to sleep. And I might read, you know, one to three a week. So that 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 was also kind of marinating in my mind. 
Um, Look, don't be then, ashamed to say it. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, okay. All right. No, no. I mean, I love, I love, I, I cherish my, my, just like my, my best alone time. But anyway, those two components. And then um, uh, the third one is also really pragmatic. Um, like I said, Julie and I had been spending, you know, as novelists do, years putting together, uh, you know, hard, lonely years writing these, um, you know, passion driven novels. Um, and I just thought, well, if we combined our forces, took, um, you know, took our experience at the gym and, um, you know, and what we both know of how, um, of how really readable but smart thrillers work, if we could put all those pieces together, <clears throat> what would stop us from writing a book instead of in four years in a year or a year and a half? So it was really like circumstantial and practical and then definitely informed by this sort of magical readerly brain that we share. But then it all kind of came together on that night that Julia already described in Brooklyn. Things We Never Got Over, the new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. Bearded bad boy Barber Knox refers to live his life the way he takes his coffee, alone, unless you count his basset hound Waylon. Knox doesn't tolerate drama even when it comes in the form of a stranded runaway bride. Naomi wasn't just running away from her wedding. She was riding to the rescue of her estranged twin to knock him out Virginia, a rough around the edges town where disputes are settled the old-fashioned way with fist and beer, usually in that order. Too bad for Naomi, her evil twin hasn't changed at all. After helping herself to Naomi's car and cash, Tina leaves her with something unexpected the niece Naomi didn't know she had. Now she's stuck in town with no car, no job, no plan, and no home with an 11-year-old going on 30 to take care of. There's a reason Knox doesn't do complications or high-maintenance women, especially not the romantic ones. But since Naomi's life imploded right in front of him, the least he can do is help her out of her jam. And just as soon as she stops getting into new trouble, he can leave her alone and get back to his peaceful, solitary life. At least that's the plan until the trouble turns to real danger. Things We Never Got Over, the new book by best-selling author, Lucy Score. An Innocent Client, the first book in the Joe Dillard legal thriller series. A preacher is found brutally murdered in a Tennessee motel room. A beautiful, mysterious young girl is accused. In this best-selling debut, criminal defense lawyer Joe Dillard has become jaded over the years as he's tried to balance his career against his conscience. Savvy but cynical, Dillard wants to quit doing criminal defense, but he can't resist the chance to represent someone who might actually be innocent. His drug-addicted sister has just been released from prison, and his mother is succumbing to Alzheimer's, but Dillard's commitment to the case never wavers despite the personal troubles and professional demands that threaten to destroy him. Chosen by BookBub readers as one of the top 100 crime novels of all time, get started on this great series with an innocent client where it all started. Read for free with Kindle Unlimited or buy it in paperback or audiobook. An Innocent Client by Scott Pratt. So yeah. that first book, Santa Monica, is is a little bit satire, um, a little bit thriller, um, and and kind of came out of that experience that you guys were sharing. Thank you for um, closing the loop on that, Hank. Yes, I don't know why I'm assuming that your <laughs> listeners have all read, uh, you know, our whole canon, but um, uh, yes, Santa Monica um, is largely our first novel together as Cassidy Lucas is largely situated at the gym. And while it's, you know, heavily fictionalized, it is based in, in that shared experience that I described yeah. of working out together. And I hadn't been in L.A. long, so I was, I mean, I'm even six years later living here, I'm still in shock, you know, because, you know, <laughs> I'm not in good shape. I don't have a sunny attitude. You have to <laughs> I a lot at the gym, which I just, you know, germs. I felt that way even before COVID. And so right. this was like, <clears throat> I was athletic as a young person. But this was the first time in like 
20 years that I was sweating and it was so brutal. Sometimes I thought I was going to throw up during class and Chaley's like next to me, like running like a gazelle at like 120 miles per hour. And so it was such amazing material. I mean, I yes, just, yes, and, it was. It was. I, I really, I saw a point of view opportunity in Julia's take. Outside. Yeah, outside. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Julia, go ahead. So, but the way that we work on the actual books, I feel like it's it's similar to how we used to work in workshop where, you know, the for me, the best way I can, I guess, help a writer um, is to just talk through what is it that you want to do with either the story or this novel. And so we met in this sort of grimy writer space in Santa Monica. And we just said, okay, you know, we know we want to set it in the gym with these various characters. Let's. There will be a murder. Yeah. And then we, the way in which we work, and I think this is, I think this is good advice for anybody who wants to write with somebody else, is we pick point of view. So we each had two characters that we initially assigned each other. And that way, the point of view of those characters would be consistent. Um, and then by the, so for the last party, oh my gosh, I can't even <laughs> For the last party, we also divvied up the points of view. And then we said, okay, you know, here's the general sort of arc of the story. Like we may not have, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen at the end, right in the beginning. And I do have to say that working on story um, or plot like that with somebody else, you know, I, I feel like one of the biggest things that I came out of this partnership with is that I always question my ability to craft a good story, maybe because I want it to be just perfect, you know, epically yeah. transporting. And I think I'm actually good at it, you know, <laughs> which of course makes sense now. But it was really amazing to, um, I feel like working with somebody else, kind of like couples therapy, mm-hmm. it shows you what you, it shows you your strengths and weaknesses you know like definitely obviously I talk too much I write too much I'm too wordy Chaley is there to like cut like 50,000 of my words or something crazy (laughs) so um that's you know that was something that I was like hey if I had Chaley to help me with my first two books which she did you know some um so I do think that uh it was really fun talking about the characters. I mean, texting each other because it is normally such a lonely experience. You create these people, this world, you know, this drama. And then when I'm writing a book, I don't talk about it really with anybody until it's done usually by myself. Uh, Cause I'm that fragile, even though I run a writer's workshop. And, um, (laughs) and so, you know, even after the, Santa Monica was published or after we handed in the last party, we could still text each other or talk about like, hey, what, you know, what do you think this character is doing? Because there is really like a mourning period for me after I turn in the final draft of a book and I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess that's it. We'll never see each other again, fictional (laughs) characters. You know, I don't reread my books after they're published. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, if we if we want to take this romantic view of writing and the creative process that that we are, um, you know, little gods in some, you know, strange, uh, you know, self-created universe um, that there there should kind of be a mourning process that yeah. this thing that you've created is now coming to an end and and maybe that's one reason why people you know write long running series because they just don't want to let go of those characters oh gosh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i have a I, I have problems with goodbyes like this is the, probably one of the oddest things about me but i don't watch 
I often don't watch the last episode in a series, like a TV series that I've been watching for like years. I still haven't seen the last episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, my my oldest daughter is that way. She'll she'll call us and she'll she'll be like, Mom and Dad, you'll have to watch this show. You know, she and her husband were were watching it. And then, you know, my wife and I will binge it over a weekend and then, you know, we'll be like, hey, Lauren, wasn't this amazing? And and she'll like, oh, I didn't finish it because I was enjoying it too much. I didn't want it to end. Oh, my gosh. She is like she's <laughs> my oh, kindred spirits. Yeah, it's so ah. funny. It's so funny. But let, let me ask you this, um, Chaley. You write one thing. Um, Julia writes another thing. When you come together as Cassidy Lucas, you you have this this other kind of voice um, and and you have uh, certain um, there's a tendency to write certain types of stories. Do you feel like that that Cassidy Lucas is this third entity in this relationship that you have with Julia? Does does the act of writing with Julia create this this other writing entity oh that's such a deep question and a great one <laughs> yes yes i think so for sure i mean i think together we've discovered that we have between us sort of a writing superhero <laughs> like Julia, well, like Julia alluded, it's true. And, and she can't, well, she can't exist. She can't exist in us individually. Um, and, you know, I think um, Julia kind of alluded to this earlier, but where this third person has really taken shape is through our process even though we do divvy up points of view and tend to take two characters each that we have ownership for, where Cassidy comes in is that after we have a somewhat skeletal draft um, in which we've each focused on our, let's say our Julia's characters and Chaley's characters, then we switch. And Julia goes through and adds, as she mentioned, the interiority, the thoughts, the expositions, um, the real driving emotion, right, behind the external scene. And then I will go in, and Julia's often written, you know, these amazing internal passages, and I will give them more of an external framework and situate them in dramatized scene. So that's this, this, this third person that you were asking about. That's where she comes in, is that she's able to encompass the, balance. the internal and the external in this balanced way that I certainly don't maintain individually. So anyway, that's, that's, that's been the magic of the process. And that's how Cassidy is different from Chaley the novelist and Julia the novelist. Yeah. How about you, Julie? How do you, how do you feel about the existence of Cassidy? Well, <clears throat> this might be because I'm the more disorganized intellectually person in this combo, but <laughs> for me, for me, Cassidy Lucas probably doesn't really exist. It's it's Chaley and I. I think that's also because I'm not as maybe I'm not. A, I don't. When I write, I write the way I have to write, you know, it's not, um, I don't feel that I have a ton of control over it in terms of changing the tone dramatically. I mean, like, you know, we set, we sold two books as more commercial fiction, you know, and I still wrote the same way I feel like I always write. But then again, Shaley was there to cut all my sort of, I guess, the like copious internal stuff, like too much character thought that would make the book a, a slower read and make it more literary fiction. Give it literary like, pacing. Yeah. I mean, great stuff, but a different, different reader. So I think for me, yeah. it's a little probably more challenging. Um, 
to even think that I'm, I mean, it was interesting, you know, I'm always going to write the way that I write because writing is so hard that I have to lose myself in it. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the pleasure of writing for me is only in that, in that escape you know, um, and then I also really do love editing, but that's a whole other, you know, we're yeah. talking actual writing. Um, so I don't know, the Cassidy Lucas is, you know, it's interesting. I I really, I, I wasn't sure about the whole pen name, you know, um, but I do think it was, it was necessary and it was smart. Um, but I do feel like there is still that purity of Chaley and I writing together as ourselves, yeah. bringing, you know, bringing our individual strengths. Um, so I still do kind of feel like it's really just us. And it's funny when, you know, we have to talk about ourselves as Cassidy. So, you know, I'm just like, who is that lady? <laughs> who is this Cassidy lady? But um and it was hard to come up with a pen name, I'll tell you that, you know. <laughs> I do think that writing closer, you know, writing and closer to genre has been really um, freeing for Chaley and I. I mean, I went to the iWriters workshop having written like a couple of short stories. So when I got there, I was just like, okay, this is how a writer is. You have to be super literary and don't talk about emotion and don't have too much drama and then I left and I was like, wait a second, that's all the stuff that I love. Right. So I'm going to write genre benders for the rest of my life. Like I'm never, I don't know, I shouldn't say never, but <laughs> I haven't <laughs> read like pure literary fiction and unless I'm blurbing a student's book. Um, you know, I listen to like horror um, I'm really into sci-fi right now. And and all of it is well written in that it has a literary style that challenges me, you know, my brain. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the next couple of books I want to work on, um, the one I'm, I, I, I started is it's futuristic. Um, you know, a sci so I guess, it, it, you know, you would call it, it's like, there's a medical sci-fi component. Sure. And I want to write like historical fiction with a little bit of horror, a la Pan's Labyrinth. So I'm like, just running into the genre field, I hope. I love it. Um, but again, we'll always write the way that we write, you know, whatever. So it's always going to be psychological. Um, but I do feel like Chaley and I, part of the reason to write together and to try to publish in a different genre was to, was a supportive, you know, decision. Cause, um, it was a little scary, you know, being like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna really make the plot wild, you know, especially for this last book, the plot is really, you know, there is a mystery element. So that was exciting. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, if Santa Monica was a way for the two of you to sort of process your uh, your new lot in life, new surroundings, um, new passions, and to to kind of uh, flip the script a little bit and and make fun of almost um, some things you were seeing and people you were observing, and and to to just kind of have fun with what you were experiencing in your own life is, is, is definitely how I kind of in, interpret um, what that book might be for you. The last party, um, I, I would love to know what, where this came from because um, I recently turned 50 and, and I understand the, yeah, the, the, it's an interesting place in life, you know? And, and so from that vantage point, we enter the world of the last party. Where where did the story come from? Well, Chelly. Um, I really thought of it quite quickly. So really, <laughs> I mean, 
think we'll just we'll just answer honestly. Um, Please do. We, <laughs> you know, we um, Santa Monica had gone out on submission, and we had some um, rumbles of interest from from various editors, and our agent suggested that before we attended these editorial calls that we had an idea for a second book in our back pocket um, because that's sort of the way the way the way it can work um, with working in this sort of genre if you want to call it so we weren't sure if we were going to need it but um, we knew one publisher well Harper who we, we are published with um, would be interested um, in a series or in a second book so I think over the course of one afternoon in that grimy writer space, we just met and brainstormed. Different grimy writer space. Was yeah, it was a, yeah, we've we yeah. been to every, every, everyone in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, I mean, I think um, we knew that we wanted, um, or I think Julia has always been a fan of the, the tight timeline framework. Um, so we knew that we'd like to give ourselves that structure of a weekend or, you know, what's like a three day getaway. Um, and then um, we um, were uh, you know, thinking of books we had. We, we knew they wanted to do kind of a locked room, you know, um, um, a getaway structure, yeah. um, but that we wanted to kind of also that's, that's like a, a, a convention, right? Of a, of a lot of, of thrillers, right? Um, you know, there's one that's coming out on HBO or something right now where it's like 20 years after the college graduation at the yeah. reunion, you know, it's a, it's a familiar setup. So yeah. we're fans of that familiar setup. It's a very handy device to work within, but we knew that we also wanted to give it a big twist to kind of flip that convention on its head. So we came up with those components in this brainstorming meeting. And then, you know, we thought setting, we knew we wanted to have another SoCal, you know, a very specific location. Um, and we thought of Topanga because it's so, um, it's so distinctive in its quirkiness and in its beauty and isolated you know, also isolated a little bit menacing. So all these pieces kind of came together in this brainstorming afternoon. Um, we went to the call. Um, we talked about Santa Monica. We pitched we pitched this yet to be written book, which at the time I think we were calling the Canyon. Um, and it just all came together very quickly. Um, but we really are fans of this convention of the locked room uh, friends with uh, kind of old buried wounds. And then we knew we wanted to flip it. Yeah. Um, so that 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 was really the genesis. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned those conventions because I, I have to ask this um, because there's been a lot of discussion um, be between some people in in, uh, in in my writing community lately about um, tropes that define a genre, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the locked room and, uh, the, you know, things like that, that, you know, we, we've all read a million books that 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 base around these these tropes. Um, right. But what keeps a trope from becoming cliche? Yeah. Well, I think the setting, <clears throat> I think for me, you know, the thing, it was funny because when we met, you know, this was pre-pandemic, I need to point out with an underline. <laughs> so we were like, and I remember thinking, right after we sold this basically like five sentence summary that I was like, whoa, that was ambitious, Julia. You like, you didn't hold back. You were like, let's do this crazy mystery, super complicated plot. Um, and for me, the setting was definitely something that was gonna automatically make it some you know unique in in some ways um topanga canyon i mean you know we're talking this is where the manson murders you know the, took place um it's such an unusual place 
you know, it's very hard, you know, it's challenging to drive up into the canyon and drive back down. So like people really do get, you know, the people that we know that live there and we have some very close friends, um, they don't really leave the canyon that much. You know, it's it's a trek. And, and you know, like the sort of gym, you know, genre of Southern California, you know, there are some stereotypes of Topanga Canyon that are just absolutely true. You know, every time I go there, someone's like talking to me about crystals and, yeah. and the healing energy of, you know, there's, and so, but it's also like so many other parts of Los Angeles, um, changing, becoming wealthier. You know, we have the threat of the fires up there. It's just a very dramatic yeah, it was a very big setting. Yeah. Um, but I and then also, also oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Julie. Oh no, no. I was just going just back to kind of, you know, how how do you um so, you know ensure that a trope isn't going to veer into stereotype? And um, you know, I think it's it's of course psychological nuance mm-hmm. and um you know, I think um, I think it, it's very hard to write a purely original story within these conventions of genre, and yet I compulsively read them week after week after week, and again and again. Um, it sort of doesn't matter if the story yeah. is familiar, right? As long as the characters are complex and unique yeah. and distinctive, and like it's like you know, it's like craft one hundred and one but it still applies. Anyway, yes. go ahead, Julia. I was just going to say the same similar thing that I just don't even care. I mean, you know, we're we're about to publish our fourth novel, so I feel like, hey, we're like big kids now a little bit, you know? <laughs> and after all, I mean, the way that I actually learned how to write was not at the Iowa Writers Workshop. It was it was in my kitchen on Sackett Street with all these writers and I taught a lot of novel writing workshops and I quickly learned that it's not the what that matters the what happens it's the how yep you know I mean I don't even really worry about it now because I know that I spend so much time in my characters heads like Chaley mentioned the psychological nuance that you know it's the characters that are going to make it unique you know what do they what do they need? What do they want? What do they fear? Um, it's funny because my kids in school, I have one, my son's in high school, my daughter's in middle school. Both their parents are writers. You know, it's so annoying. Like, you know, <laughs> when they fight, they talk about not publishing each other because they make comic books. You know, it's like we've infected them with our literary nonsense. Oh, yeah. And, um, Sometimes they'll come home and they'll be talking about a book or a manga, Japanese comic or a TV show. And they'd be like, yeah, but I feel like they stole this from blah, blah, blah and mythology. And like my son's into Dungeons and Dragons, which is like just the theory of every great idea ever, (laughs) you know. And I'm always telling them, you know, exactly this. It's not the what. It's the it's the how. You know, the story unfolds and it's um, it can be unique. You know, I think uh, I don't know. I think people worry about that too much and they just have to know that at a certain point in the crafting of a story that's based on these so-called tropes, you're going to go in and, and, and if it's not unique, then you'll you'll have to find a way to make it unique. You know, but I, I, mean, think I think also learn from from writing those stories. Right. I mean, we had we we faced this late late in the game with the last party, Hank, in that we we had finally dialed in the storyline, and you know, we had this um, kind of very timely vaccine related subplot, mm-hmm. and we were we were feeling pretty good about the plot mechanics 
of the book and most of the characters, but we realized, but the book, it, the book wasn't done. It wasn't right. Um, and really the problem was, you know, to put it in very technical literary terms, we didn't know what Don's deal was. Yeah. The, you know, the protagonist, we really just yeah. like hadn't figured out her inner workings and her motives and her needs. And it's really those things, as Julia was saying, that make a reader forget that they're reading something that is, um, that's very familiar just from a pure story perspective. But mm -hmm. if the psychology is nuanced, interesting, dark, demented enough, you sort of forget that you're in a world that you may have experienced before plot-wise. Yes, demented, I like it. I love it. <laughs> The last party, uh, when you're hearing this episode, is going to be available everywhere, and we'll have links to it in the show notes where you can grab it in Kindle edition or in paperback or the uh, the Audible audiobook production. Have you guys heard any of the 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 pre um, the pre release? Uh, have you have you heard any of the audiobook yet? Is what I'm trying to say. Um, no, but I listen almost, you know purely audio i only read on audio now which is a whole other topic you know um but we did you know it's very exciting when your audiobook is being made sometimes if you're lucky you get to kind of weigh in on the narrators so um we do so we get that. to the demos yeah yeah it makes me feel like it's exciting. Um, it I really exciting. love listening to books while I garden or, you know, sometimes I try and do actual email response work while I'm listening to my true crime <laughs> podcast and it hurts my brain, but keeps me busy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can grab it in audiobook or uh, or Kindle or paperback, or go visit your local bookstore. And uh, you know, let's let's help keep local bookstores alive as well. Um, the last party is a book that I promise will keep you on your toes the whole time, uh, and it's a familiar story that takes you in unfamiliar places. Uh, you're gonna love it the same way I did. I know it. Um, Julia and Chaley, um, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I feel like we could have just talked all afternoon oh, long. So enjoyable. Thank you so much, Hank. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you guys do, where can they find you online? JuliaFierro.com and, and all social media. Yeah, and we also have a Cassidy Lucas website yes that will take um, you to all of our individual places as well we have many social media <laughs> um and i am in charge of all of them and it's hard yes. to update all of them i'm like wait cassie lucas homepage, facebook page you know but um you know You're easily accessible online thank yes. you julia's social Great. media effort. Just Google us, baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. we will link up all those places in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. Uh, Julia you. and Chaley, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thanks, Hank. Thank you so much, Hank. It was such a pleasure. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. Welcome to historic Sleepy Hollow, settled in 1640. Jason had looped around the town and had come up Broadway from the south. Behind the retaining wall next to the sign, a yard worker turned on his leaf blower, sending a tidal wave of yellow and red up and over the stones to splash off the windshield of the RV. They passed antique shops, a shell station, and a food king grocery. This is the same Broadway, you know, said Eliza. It goes all the way down to Times Square. Used to be an Indian trail, Manhattan to Fort Orange for the fur trapping business. She kissed the dog. Oh, don't worry, baby, nobody's gonna skin you. And you know what the town's most famous for? Well, duh, Jason said. Every kid named Crane, especially one as tall and skinny as Jason, had heard a lifetime of Ichabod jokes. He hoped never to hear another. Did you know it was a real place? Of course, he said, though he hadn't. Don't be so smart, said Eliza. 
Turn here. The streets sloped towards the Hudson, the hillside trying to shake the village off its back. Jason slipped in behind a UPS truck and drove upwards. They turned onto Gory Brook Road. He stuck his head out the window, trying to pass. The UPS truck turned aside to the right. And he saw the house. Here! 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 said Eliza. She pointed at the driveway of 417 Gory Brook. Jason brought the RV to a smoke-belching halt. The house stood on a knoll, above a steep yard that angled downwards toward the Hudson. An ancient sycamore on the front lawn leaned precariously. The roof was an irregular A-frame, with a long slope on the left and a short one on the right, like a rotated checkmark. The upper floors were trimmed with bands of chocolate brown wood in a rectangular pattern. They made the house look as if it were trapped behind the bars of a jail cell. A tiny triangular portico extended over the front door, which was rough-hewn, rounded on top, held together by two vertical metal bands, and dotted with nail heads, a gothic novel in braille. The gray-blue curtains at the ground-floor bay window gave the place a veiled eye aspect, like his grandmother's cataracts. The house seemed to be inspecting Jason with that eye. What are you doing here, boy? I'm watching you. Eliza put a hand on his shoulder. He jumped. This is it, she said. She slapped the dashboard. This is what? Our new home. But Jason turned to her, baffled. Her face sparkled with delight. Surprise! Surprise!